Al Jazeera podcast. Niger is really an extraordinary model at a time of great challenge. That's U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. A model of resilience, a model of democracy, a model of cooperation. It's one that we deeply value and deeply respect. Four months ago, Blinken became the first U.S. Secretary of State to visit Niger. He was there to tackle concerns over regional security and growing Russian influence. But a lot of different countries have a hand in Niger, from the United States to France to Russia. Niger has been relatively stable compared to its neighbors, Mali and Burkina Faso, which have both had military coups in the last three years. Stable, that was, until last week. A military coup that has reverberated around the world. Members of the Presidential Guard say they had overthrown the government and detained Niger's president. We, the Defense and Security Forces, meeting within the National Council for the Safeguard of the Homeland, CLSP, have decided to put an end to the regime you know. Coup leader seized power last week after blocking democratically elected President Mohamed Bazoum inside the presidential palace. Now, coup leaders are accusing France of plotting a military intervention, though France has denied these claims. So what's driving the power struggle in Niger, and what happens next? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I sat down with my colleague Ahmed Idris from Abuja, Nigeria, where he's been covering the coup next door. My name is Ahmed Idris, Al Jazeera correspondent in Nigeria. I cover Western Central Africa regions, and I've been at it for maybe 13 years now. Wow. And that is a region that's been keeping you very busy over the last few days. But thank you for sharing your time with us anyway. Ahmed, we finally know who the leader of this coup in Niger is. State TV is naming a new coup leader, and that is General Abdurrahman Chiani. Let's bring in our correspondent, Ahmed Idris. He's following all of these developments for us from Abuja and neighboring Nigeria. What has your morning been like? It's been busy. It's been like this since the coup started. It's been rewarding at the end of the day because we are on top of the story, I think leading most international organizations uh, that are out of Niger at the moment. So basically, it's been a very, very rewarding day professionally. Take me back to Wednesday, July 26. There were reports of an attempted coup at the presidential palace. An apparent military takeover has occurred in the African nation of Niger. Guards assigned to Niger's president, Mohamed Bazoum, appear to hold him hostage inside his own palace. How did you hear about it? I woke up to a call that something is happening in Niger. I tried to make a few calls. Uh, My contacts in Niger were not responding. I called one or few contacts and they told me that yes, Something was wrong. The president has been held hostage by soldiers who are meant to protect him. And I asked them specifically, uh, do you think this is a military coup? Uh, One of them said, I think it's a mutiny kind of a thing, but 
it hasn't reached the level of a coup. Oh. That's how it started, actually. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The first eight hours of the coup, we, it was total darkness. Nobody knows what was happening. There was no statement from the coup plotters. There was no statement from the presidency simply because Bazoum is being held hostage by the coup plotters. Although his Twitter handle was active and busy, saying that everything will be fine and that he is still the president <laughs> of Niger Republic despite what's going on. Oh, wow. In a tweet earlier, the presidency said President Bazoum and his family are doing well. President Bazoum vowed that the nation's hard-won gains toward democracy would be safeguarded. It wasn't until late in the evening when there was this statement on national television that the coup plotters have formally taken over and that they have deposed the president. Surprisingly, the TV station and the radio station, which was the first port of call for most coup plotters in Africa over the past decades, has been in the hands of the general military, I mean, the troops loyal to President Mohamed Bazoum. Then all of a sudden, there was this announcement on TV. When the announcement came, uh, it was realized that the game is over for now. So as of today, Friday, July 28th, when we're sitting down for this interview, is the coup over? In fact, up to Friday afternoon, there was no indication who was in charge. We understand that there's been some negotiations the chief of staff of the army, who initially was loyal to the president, there was a report that negotiations were going on to see whether or not the chief of staff will take over the presidency. And then on Friday, there was this statement, this television appearance by General Abdurrahman Chani, the coup leader. The current security approach has failed to secure our country, despite the heavy sacrifices made by Nigerians and the appreciable and appreciated support of our external partners. No, the result has not lived up to our expectations, and we can no longer continue with the same approaches proposed to date. At the risk of witnessing the gradual and inevitable disappearance of our country and also the commander of the brigade that took over the reins of power from Mohamed Bazoum, addressing the country, repeating what the first group of army officers that appeared on television days before were saying, that the government of Mohamed Bazoum mismanaged the economy and also failed to rein in security challenges in the country. As Ahmed says, Niger has been facing serious security threats on different fronts for some time now. There are armed groups in the region, Boko Haram in Nigeria, where he's based, as well as ISIL in Mali and Burkina Faso. Interestingly, these two countries also, in the past three years, executed military coups, toppling civilian administrations, and taking over with the promise of ending the violence in their countries. Army officers in Burkina Faso have announced the overthrow of military leader Paul Henry Damiba. Mali's government was the first to fall three years ago. Despite efforts to fight insurgents, attacks have increased over the past decade. So, Niger, the coup plotters actually said they removed the president basically because he's failed to address the security situation in the country and also because of economic mismanagement. However, on the contrary, when you look at the performance of Bazoum over the past two or three years since he came into power in 2021, 
He's got a lot of goodwill on the international stage. And uh, again, managing the security threat has been relatively uh, good for him in such a way that the Americans have set up a base there, the French already have a base there, so they're helping while protecting their own interests and also from threats from these armed groups. They're also helping Niger with intelligence, with military support to deal with their own problems. So General Abdurrahman Chiani, you mentioned he's the commander of the presidential guards and he's been declared the new leader on state TV. Who is he and what do we know about him? He's a respected military officer in Niger. He's been heading the presidential guards brigade since 2015. He's a close ally to immediate past president of Niger Republic, the man who... Mohamed Bazoum took over from him. Uh, that is Mohamed Yusufu, mm-hmm. who in fact, in the early hours of the mutiny, was leading negotiations to resolve the crisis. Mohamed mm-hmm. Yusufu appointed him to that position in 2015 as commander of that military formation to protect the president. In fact, in the dying days of Mohamed Yusuf, General Chiani himself crushed a plan to overthrow his government just <sighs> after Mohamed Bazoum. Oh, yeah, wow. it's interesting. Mohamed Bazoum was winning the election. It was General Chiani who protected the president, who crushed the coup. The expectations of many people that wow. he will be safe from something like this. Unfortunately, he didn't. The attempted coup in 2021 started before Bazoum was sworn in, Ahmed says, after a tense election. You know, Bazoum comes from a minority Arab tribe in Niger Republic. There is a tribe in that country that is dominant in nearly all important fields, the military, the civil service, and what have you. Mm -hmm. So when that coup was launched, there was this feeling that some elements within the army or within the country don't want a minority Mm -hmm. to take over the reins of government in that country. But again, you have different minorities in Niger Republic. And it was their vote that actually brought Bazoum to power. Hmm. So that coup attempt was launched before Bazoum will be inaugurated. And Chiani, who was in charge of protecting the president, did his job by crushing the coup and protecting the president, being his close ally. Mm -hmm. And two, three years later, we see him overthrowing the anointed successor of his close ally, Mohamed Bazoum. Wow. Yeah. So presumably, Bazoum thought he could probably trust Chiani because he'd already shown his loyalty. But two years later, we see what's happened. Exactly. You touched on the minority tribe aspect. I want to go a little bit deeper because President Mohamed Bazoum was democratically elected two years ago. Were there any signs of trouble when he came to power? Can you tell us what we should know about that time? I have monitored elections in Niger for quite some time as a journalist, but I can tell you I've never seen a campaign fill with hate, much slinging and all that. Racism, ethnicity came into play and people were really worried that it could result into violence. When President Mohamed Bazoum succeeded Mahmoudou Issoufou in 2021, it was the first peaceful handover of power in Niger's history. But even that was threatened by violence. After Bazoum assumed office, there was 
also rumors of a planned military coup. There were demonstrations, and during those demonstrations, minorities from his own tribe, the Arab tribe, were targeted because these are mostly businessmen, so their shops were looted and destroyed. Those were the things we recorded, and those were red flags, actually. The geopolitics beyond the coup, after the break. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day, with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So, Ahmed, the response to all of this has been pretty swift. Niger is an important ally to Western nations. Both the U.S. and France have bases there. And France recently moved its center of operations in West Africa from Mali to Niger. So what are the geopolitics at play here that we should know about? So many things happening at the same time. We are not sure. Rumors abound of probably rivalries between Western powers with vested interests in Niger. But again, if you look at it, all these countries with interest in Niger have come out strongly condemning what happened on Wednesday and what continued to happen in Niger at the moment. Uh, President Emmanuel Macron in particular was fierce in his condemnation. He issued strong words and uh, insisted that Bazoum well, should be returned to office and democracy be protected. He called it an illegitimate coup and a profoundly dangerous development, not only for uh, citizens of Niger, the country, but to the entire Sahel region. And he is saying that they want to support any move by international institutions like regional power blocks like ECOWAS, African Union, the United Nations, and all to deal with the problem. If they're thinking of putting sanctions on Niger, he said he's all out to support that. There have been plenty of protests on the ground since the coup, both supporters of the government and supporters of the military. But perhaps a surprise to some are the Russian flags that have been seen during some of these demonstrations. Russian flags have been waved in the street and Russia has expressed support for the coup, just as Western powers were condemning it. What's behind this pro-Russian sentiment? Yeah, the sentiment is spreading across much of the Sahel, simply because Governments in the region, like the military in Niger said, have failed to rein in attacks by armed groups associated with or linked to ISIL and Al-Qaeda. So when Mali chased out the French forces and invited Wagner mercenary group to help deal with the situation, in the first few months of their presence in Mali, there's been some military operations that generated some good results, and people were happy about that. And because there was this propaganda by the military machinery in Mali, people were conditioned to believe that the presence of Wagner and and other mercenary groups in Mali is the best thing, because the French have been there for years and years and years, yet these attacks continue. And so the sentiment spread to Burkina Faso. The military was capitalizing on that. Now, what you saw during the pro-coup demonstrators, people flashing Russian flags, is to show solidarity, subtly asking the new military leaders 
to invite Wagner to take charge of security in that country. I think that is what they meant, and that is the message they wanted to pass to the military authorities in Niger Republic. Now, will that happen? Nobody knows. You mentioned some other coups that have happened in the region. This is just the latest in a series of coups that have happened in West Africa. There have been coups in Mali, Burkina Faso, Guinea. This is actually the fifth coup in Niger itself. Is there an overarching reason why coups keep happening in this region? I can say one thing. The political class in many African countries, if not most African countries, have failed their people, have failed their voters. This is the thing you get when you talk to political analysts in the region. They will tell you that people expected much of the politicians, but they failed to deliver. So a lot of goodwill that accompanied the voting into office of politicians dissipated in a matter of months simply because the problems they promised to tackle were still there, staring people in the face. Issues like corruption, the provision of basic amenities is a very, very difficult thing. Electricity, go to several villages in the Sahel, in West Africa, you find that they don't have running water. Hospitals are in a sorry state. Look at schools, no buildings to accommodate hundreds of thousands of children of school age. So this is the story in most of these countries where you find military intervening. But again, the military are not faring better. So that frustration drives some people. When they see a military coup happening, they go onto the street and support them. Ahmed, where do you think democracy in Niger goes from here? What do you think might happen in the next month? It's hard to say, but judging from what happened in those Sahelian countries, Mali, Burkina Faso, Guinea, there will be a long drawn negotiation to try to resolve the situation. The military will try to drag it on, especially if they have support from neighboring countries like Mali and Burkina Faso. But we expect regional grouping. On Sunday, one of those regional groups, ECOWAS, called a meeting where they announced sanctions and potential force. Do they have the capacity to send in a standby force to restore democracy in Niger Republic? It's hard to say for now. Are they willing to do that in Niger? It depends on how much willpower they have to take on that responsibility. Niger may not have a powerful military, but who is going to contribute the resources, who are going to contribute the forces, who is going to finance the logistics and all that. Countries like France and United States, will they establish new links with the new military rulers in Niger, promising to restore democracy and setting up transitions? Or will they stick by Bazoum, not abandon him to his fate as it is right now? The next few weeks will be very interesting, I tell you. We're watching closely to see what happens. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Sonia Bagat and Chloe K. Lee, with Miranda Lynn, Zaina Badr, Paranisa Campana, David Enders, Ashish Malhotra, Khalid Sultan, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. 
Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs> 